Hey, thanks for joining us online again. Our plan is to be together next Sunday, but for now, I'm glad you're with us. And we're going to begin uh, stepping back into the book of Exodus. Years ago, I was minivan shopping in Arizona, right before we moved to Lincoln, in fact, and, and I had no plans to buy. We, we just wanted to look. But boy, the, the salesperson just wouldn't let it go, and, and he kept going and talking to his manager and, and offering me a lower price, and no, I don't think so. Oh, let me, let, let me see what I can do for you. And he had about three trips, and finally I heard the sales manager yell to him, well, I guess he just doesn't want to buy today. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I had said. But what struck me was the bargaining process. He kept trying to lower the price in the hope that I would give up my commitment not to buy. But isn't that how life works a lot? We bargain with one another. You got something, I got something, I give a little, you give a little, and then we reach some kind of compromise. Well, that's okay until we take that mindset into our relationship with God and we think, I can bargain with God. That's a bad idea. <laughs> and I want to talk about why this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Exodus chapter 10. We're going to go all the way through this chapter wrestling with this question. What's wrong with trying to bargain with God? As I mentioned, we are stepping back into the book of Exodus after taking a break through Advent. Just to get you up to speed, Israel had been enslaved 400 years. And God had said, the time is coming. And so he called Moses and sent Moses to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. And boy, he was not amenable at all to the idea of Israel leaving. That was a big hit on his gross national product. And, and there's no way, no how. And, and what he did is he, he stepped up the pressure on Israel. And at first, the Israeli people turned against Moses. But then God began to work a series of plagues on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. At first, those plagues were, were more of a nuisance, but, but then it began to hit the bottom line. He, he took their, their livestock and through hail, he, he took their, their crops. And, and so that's where we pick it up. We're in this series of plagues, and God again sends Moses to Pharaoh. And this is what it says in chapter 1. Uh, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. Now again, we see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And when we started, we talked about, uh, there were three phrases. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in that, we see a stubbornness of Pharaoh. He's responsible for it. And yet God is sovereign in it. We see the free will of humanity and the sovereignty of God working together, coming together to do the will of God. How that plays out exactly, we don't know, but that's what we see here. And so we see God working and, in fact, enhancing Pharaoh's stubbornness for a purpose. And here it is, verse 2, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that may, you may know that I'm the Lord. Look, God's not trying to thump his chest here. But he's trying to say, I took on the most powerful ruler in the world with a people that were 
powerless, had no resources, had no army, and I worked a series of plagues to free them. Your kids and your grandkids and beyond need to know that. What do they need? Why? Because I'm faithful. Teach this to the next generations. For those of us who've walked with God and those of us who've known the faithfulness of God, I I would raise the question, what are we doing to teach our kids and our grandkids about the faithfulness of God? Well, Moses and his brother Aaron are getting a little bit more bold with Pharaoh, so they ask kind of a forward question verse 3. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh, people are suffering. You, your nation, your bottom line are suffering. How long? God's not taking pleasure in this. But he does have a purpose and he does have a will for this nation of Israel. And Pharaoh will not stand in the way. So Pharaoh, you're going to lose. How long will you go on? You know, you think, well, Pharaoh needed to answer that question, but sometimes we do too. We can be awfully stubborn in our relationship with God. No way, no how am I giving up this part of my life, my dating life, my, my money, the, my time. Yeah, you know, God doesn't have that. Oh, yeah, he does. He asked the question, how long? How long will you continue resisting God? Well, Pharaoh's going to continue for a while, so here's what happens, verses 4 through 6. But if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped from the hail, what is left to you from the hail, that they will eat every tree which sprouts from you out of the field. Then your houses shall be filled, and the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they have came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went from Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh, this is going to be hit. The remaining crops you've got left after the hail, the, the, the locusts, the grasshoppers, they're going to eat them. And after that, it's going to be a nuisance. They're going to be everywhere. The boy, ages 6 to 13, we lived in a community in uh, suburban Detroit that was on Lake St. Clair. And there was always a day or two every summer that we had an inundation of fish flies. Fish flies were everywhere. They're in your bed, they're in your bathtub. You just couldn't get rid of them. They were on your clothes. They'd come in. Fortunately, after a couple, three days, they passed. They were harmless. They didn't eat anything. They didn't take any crops, but... What a nuisance. Well, that's what Egypt's facing. An economic loss. Remember, they're an agricultural society. And and then the nuisance after the crops are gone. So so that raises a question from Pharaoh's servants. Verse 7, Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long? Where have we heard that question before? How long will this man be a snare to us? Look, yeah, in the beginning, you didn't want people to go because, you know, there was some cheap labor that helped your our gross national product, but, but this, this, this is a big loss. Individually and corporately, we're losing. So how long will this man be the snare, a snare to us? Let the man go. Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do, Pharaoh, do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? 
Look, these are Pharaoh's servants. With one command, he could end their lives. How out of line to speak to Pharaoh that way. But I guess these servants are moving past this fear. They've seen enough. Their family, their livelihood, their nation is being destroyed. They're saying, how long? How long is this going to go? We can shake our head at Pharaoh. You know, pride, stubbornness, it can blind us. It can lead us to make bad decisions. Pharaoh staked out his turf in no way, no how is he going to give up. Well, <laughs> the cost will only go up. But Pharaoh's going to try and salvage something. So starting in verse 8, the bargaining begins. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Oh, oh, good. He's going to let them go? Ah, but there's a question. Who are the ones that are going? Well, well Moses is made. It's clear everybody's going. Pharaoh's got, got another idea. I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. We'll get the idea. Moses said, uh, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Everybody's going, Pharaoh. All our, all our folk, all our people, young and old, men and women, and our herds. When he said to them, sarcastically, thus may the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Like, that ain't happening. Take heed, for evil is in your mind. If you think I'm doing this, not so. You're all going, not so. Here's Pharaoh's terms, verse 11. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So some negotiations going on. Pharaoh said, look, I can't, I can't let everybody go. But what you say that the women and the children, they stay, and you guys go do the things you're going to do, and then, but if the women and the children are, you've you got to come back. Bargaining. And Pharaoh's going to save some face. Yeah, they went, but they didn't all go, and they came back. And, and Moses said, no. Nah. That's not happening. So, what happens then? Well, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all the day and all the night. He's using natural forces. And was morning the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. There's never been so many locusts, nor there were so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees and all the hail that the hail had left. There was nothing green left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Huh. They did everything the Lord said they were going to do. They had everything left. Remember, this is an agricultural economy. So there's nothing green. It's all been eaten. Now, look, I'm a city kid. I grew up in a metro area. But I, I know an agricultural 
or they, they need green. <laughs> and, and there's none left. So now what? Well, Pharaoh, verse 16, then Pharaoh hurriedly, you better hurriedly because this is going bad, called for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Oh, he's going to admit sin. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin this once and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. Pharaoh's willing to admit moral failure. He's willing to admit sin. But not willing to submit. He understands the bottom line. God wants the people released. And God is moving through incremental plagues that Pharaoh would release them, and yet he's too stubborn, too proud. And he's costing himself and his nation. But he makes this request. Get rid of locusts. He, Moses, went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which shook up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But you'd think this would start to get through to Pharaoh, but no. But, no, verse 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. You know, years ago, I had a a little Honda Civic. After we came back from overseas, we needed a second car, and it was, I bought it used. It was about 10 years old, and it served me pretty well. But for, toward the end of our time in Arizona, uh, the carburetor, well, it started having problems. And, and when it wouldn't get cold, and it wasn't super cold in Arizona, but once in a while it'd get down, maybe a cold winter's night, might be 20. Yeah, I'd begin to have problems with it. And so I, I took it to my mechanic, a Christian guy, and he fiddled with it, and he worked with it, and Andy, that should work, and it, it didn't, and I took it back, and he, and he tried again, and it didn't, and so, and then, then we moved. We moved to Lincoln October 1st, the year, I guess, wasn't important, but 2002, and I'm driving that car around. And remember, every time it gets a little bit cold, it, every time I stop, it would die. Well, <laughs> When I got to Lincoln, every time I was at a stoplight, every time I was at a red light, it, it stopped. and I have to start it again. I thought, this is just not a, a, a good way to go. We ended up trading that in for a minivan. But I, I remember thinking about that car. You know, the, the tires worked on it. And the steering wheel worked. And the, the, the heat worked on it. And the, you know, the ignition worked. I could start it. And, and the engine coolant worked. And... and But the very core where you drove the car, the carburetor, was failing, so all those working parts didn't matter. You know, there's a place like that in our life. It's called our heart. It's where we live life. It's where we make our decisions. And if the heart's wrong, if our heart's wrong, everything else could work great, but it, it's like the carburetor. It doesn't, the whole body doesn't function as it should. Pharaoh's got a heart issue. He's not going to submit to God. 
But you know, that's not unique. It's not Pharaoh only. It's every human being that's ever been born. They have a heart issue. They don't want to submit to God. God, you go your way. I'll go mine. I'll do my own thing. And some people are more out there with it. Some people are more passive. Some people are kind of, God, you do your thing. I'll do mine. But in the end, it's, uh, I'll run the show. I ain't going to fly with God. The Bible calls that sin, that rebellion is sin. And every wrong fact, every wrong thought, action, and word flows out of that decision to reject God. And I would suggest the evil of our world flows out of the decision to reject God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, and he lived the life we're supposed to live. Perfect submission to the Father right up to the point he died on the cross unjustly. Rose again three days later, that we could be right with God. You know, the mistake I think we can make, we can read this passage and we could shake our head at Pharaoh and go, how could we? Hey, we're doing the same thing. Uh, Jesus has come to change the trajectory of our life. If you've never trusted him, I invite you to do that. You and I can live life differently because of Christ. We can live in submission to God. If you haven't made that decision, would you? If not, to a greater or lesser degree, uh, we'll follow the trajectory of Pharaoh. Let's go back to our passage. Uh, this time, there, there's no interaction between Moses and Pharaoh that's recorded. We just read about the next plague, starting in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky, and that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Well, how does this play out? Verses 22 and 23. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But, transition, all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, we've seen this before. Plagues afflicting all of Egypt except the area, Goshen, where Israel lived. And we have another case of that. You ever been to a cavern? Someplace that's really dark? Remember, we went to a cavern as kids, and the, and the host said, there were lights there, but he it, turned him out. He said, put your hand in front of your face. I couldn't see your hand. Imagine living that way for three days. That's what went on. All right, Pharaoh, ball's in your court, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Now, here we got another bargain. Ready for this? Another bargain. Here we go. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Look, look, I, I'm relenting. Even your little ones may go with you. Hey, you can take all your folk, but you've got to leave your animals. I'm trying to bargain. Trying to get some kind of control. That didn't work before. I don't think it'll work again, verse 25 and 26. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifice and burn offerings that we may sacrifice the Lord. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we shall take some them to serve the Lord our God, and until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. So, you know, don't give us this partial thing. We're taking all our livestock. <laughs> Pharaoh's trying to bargain, but Moses isn't having it because God's not having it. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Verse 29, Moses said, you're right. I shall never see your face again. Really, Pharaoh? 
You think by getting Moses out of your field of view, you're going to solve this problem? You're missing the issue. And one of the issues he has and we have with God is, is we want to bargain with God like we bargain with each other. And we've seen here that's not going to go. And, and what it's some significant of is Pharaoh saying, I'm not going to fully submit to God. And that's the core issue with trying to bargain with God. So we ask this question, what's wrong to, with trying to bargain with God? Trying to bargain with God means we haven't fully submitted to Him. Trying to bargain with God means we have not fully submitted to Him. We're going to try and maintain some measure of control. And yet, as we look at this passage, if we're honest, if I'm honest, bargaining with God, well, it comes naturally. It's what we do in our human experience, and so we do it in our relationship with God. So as a little boy, I was taken to church, and I didn't understand a personal God like this that would come later, but I understood God's existence. I was taught, I was brought up in a home that taught me to believe in the existence of God. So when I was a little guy, 8, 9, 10 years old, I would bargain with God. You know where I started bargaining with God? Over Michigan football. Okay, you Husker fans, you, you, go with me on this. I was 9, I was 10, I was 11. Michigan was pretty dominant in the Big Ten with Ohio State, but there was always a game or two that was close, especially the Ohio State game. And I would say, God, if you will let them win, well, then I'll, I won't fight with my younger brother so much. God, if, if you'll let them win this game, well, I'll, I'll help with the dishes more. As a nine-year-old, that, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to bargain with God. And you know, that thing, I, the, with, I'd never fight with my, I'd quit fighting with my younger brother. I never upheld my end of the bargain. We fought anyway. But it come naturally, God, if you'll do this, especially when we get in crisis, we're kind of a, ah, God, you, you run, yeah, I'll run my life, but when I get in crisis mode, I'll, I'll bargain with you. You know, I've got somebody sick, I've got somebody dying, I've got somebody, somebody, some, some crisis, and I'll, 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 give, I'll show up at church, I'll, I'll do this, and, and if, if you'll do that. We want to exert some measure of control. Look, when we're bargaining with somebody else, we feel like we've got something they need and we can get something from them. And, and all right, Here's the deal. God doesn't need anything from us. So stop bargaining. <laughs> you and I, we got nothing to give God. So let's stop the bargaining thing. Well, Andy, what do you suggest? And I suggest full submission because we understand that God is good. And that his best for us comes in full submission to him. We understand that he has called us to represent him here on earth. And our best representation of him comes when we're in full submission to him. But man, when, when times get tough, we fall back on bargaining. I swam in high school, and we understood the trajectory. And, and the, the worst part of swimming was Christmas break. We'd swim four hours a day, 7 to 9 in the morning, and then 1 to 3. 16,000 yards, 8,000 in the morning, 8,000 in the afternoon. And it's that second practice, we'd begin to 
bargain with our coach or try to. Hey, coach, could you just back off this? If you, could you, could you, could you, come on, please, come on, please. And, and his answer was no, because we understood that, that he was trying to give us maximum yardage that we would begin then to taper off and we would peak at the end of the season, late February, early March. But that had to happen with 16,000 yards a day. You know, there's hard stuff going on in your life right now, and you wonder why, and you're trying to bargain with God, why, 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 and what He's calling us to is a submission to Him in faith that He's good. So I'm curious, what might you be using to bargain with God? Is it your service? Is it your, your, your giving? Well, look, I don't want to... I don't want to dissuade you from giving, but if you're trying to get something from God with your money, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need that. Is it your, your position as a Sunday school teacher, as a small group leader? As a, would, that's great, serve God, but, but are you doing that out of it? Maybe I can get something from Him for doing that? Or are you doing it out of I've received an abundance and out of that I want to serve you and I've gotten everything I can from you so I don't need to bargain New Testament says we have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Why would we try and bargain with God? If you and I are trying to bargain with God, it says something's wrong with our understanding of God. Next time you feel that urge to bargain, would you say, Spirit of God, show me in my heart what's wrong. What am I not understanding about a good and sovereign God who would give His Son You know, over the years of being a pastor, I've had the opportunity to do, officiate many weddings. And I always uh, require counseling because we're not in just officiating ceremonies. We're in building marriages. I always require counseling, and I, I get to, to meet with a couple a number of times. And uh, <laughs> we just opened the building, and... Uh, we just took a couple off the street, and even them coming here was a bargain. He was from one kind of denomination, and she was the other, and, and boy, as I counseled with them, I, the bargaining was, was on. And, and there was one case. He, he had a salary job. He was an engineer. She had an hourly job, and she'd make a lot of money. And on this day, um, she had recently gone to get her hair cut, and I guess it was about 30 bucks. I mean, he was livid, livid. She's making this kind of money, and she's spending that kind of money on this stuff. And I said, look, you started dating her when she had this hourly job. You knew this. Is, is this how you're going to run your marriage? You make this. Is, is this a financial deal? Because if it is, if you're going to bargain like this through your marriage, it's a sick deal. This is not what marriage is about. Marriage is a mutual submission. I give myself to you fully. Why? Because I love you. To the degree I catch the couple trying to bargain, I say something's really wrong. In a similar way, we have a Savior who died for us. And we're going to come to Him and we're going to bargain? Really? What is it we're not understanding about God? What is it that makes us think if we get, maybe he'll show us a little bit more goodness like, like he's not showing every 
all of his goodness to us. Hey, bargaining with God tells us something's really wrong. It means we haven't fully submitted to him. I trust as we reflect on Pharaoh and the errors of Pharaoh's way that we will begin to see uh, uh, our, our tendency to bargain as the need for us to fall before God and ask Him to do a work that we might be fully submitted, knowing that He's good and that He loves us. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that You're, you're good, and, and uh, You showed that on the cross, and there's no reason for us to bargain, but that's our nature. And we slip into thinking maybe we can get something more out of yeah, Forgive us for that. Lord, convict us that we would stop bargaining with you. Might we learn from Pharaoh in Christ's name. Amen.